I, as a therapist, one of the things that I've learned in 50 years of doing this stuff is I have not experienced everything everybody else has experienced in the world. And so what I, try, I have tried to do as a therapist, I have skills and techniques to help people learn to think differently, to think differently, to feel physically differently, and to help them cope physically differently. When you asked me to do this, I really wanted to have, is every single person that may watch this needs to take a look at how they deal with the world and how they're dealing with the world is different from others, but not wrong. From Grafton, West Virginia, this is the Living Unleashed podcast. Hi, and welcome to Living Unleashed. I'm your host, Alex Runneman. This is a production growing out of my passion for identifying, questioning, and addressing the many challenges I face as an entrepreneur, father, and as a resident of my small Appalachian hometown. From community revitalization to work and business to health and everything in between, join me as we discuss the challenges, but most importantly, search for solutions that may assist you in your quest to unleash yourself and your community. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Runneman from Unleash Tiger, and I'm here with Dr. David Clayman. Uh, doctor, thanks for coming on the program. It's actually a pleasure, even this tough time. Yeah. So we are going to talk about COVID-19. I don't know if there's anything else to talk about. I mean, there's lots to talk about, but that seems to be what's really uh, taking all of our attention right now. And I wanted to bring you on the program. Um, I've, I've met you many times through the years, and I've, I have a high level of respect for not only your experience and what you know in the world of psychology, but how you can make it real and relatable and connect it with with just the, the average folks, me, you, and everybody. And, and so I really am, am grateful you were able to come on. Can you just take a moment Tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, what, what you're thinking, and then we'll just, we'll dive right in. Well, I just finished my, I'm in my 46th year in West Virginia. I came to stay two in 1977. I can count. Um, it's <laughs> unbelievable that it's gone that way. I'm a doctorally trained clinical psychologist with specialty training in medical psych, which is kind of important in what we're doing here, and that's um, the psychological aspects of physical disease. It's called integrated healthcare now. Uh, I like to claim that I'm one of the originators. Um, John Linton, who's now the Dean of the Medical School in Charleston, and I worked together years ago, 77, no, 74 when I came here, lost a couple of years. And we were really involved in this whole integrated healthcare thing, which is really important because it's, it's how psychology impacts physical health and how physical health impacts psychology and how, because we're biopsychosocially trained, how our biology, our personalities and the world around us all affect each other. And then I'm my my current major stuff, and it, it has a little bit to do with what's going on now. Is, is I'm a forensic psychologist. That's what I spend most of my time doing, mostly civil litigation, which opens my eyes to a lot of part of the world that you wouldn't see being a nice person sitting in a, a therapy office. I'm not a nice person sitting in the courtroom, but I, but I think it's important because you get to see people in very, very different states rather than people who are just, I'm not, not just anxious and depressed, but people who are really struggling. And I tend to be a defense witness in, in civil litigation, which means I sometimes am not a nice person. Um, but that's what I do. Um, I, I used to have a huge practice. Now I have a little practice, which is very smart. And um, I've been here since 74. I love it. It's home. I'm a West Virginian by choice, which means I'm a zealot. I am a zealot. I love this state. Um, I get angry when people don't understand. And I'm kind of glad we were the last state to have the case of the coronavirus because it, we got mentioned every night on the news. That's right. Um, That's right. And everybody said, oh, it's because it's, you know, they're scared to come here. Good. <laughs> Let the virus stay away. 
That was but, the 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 first time in a long time that I've that I've wanted to be last on a list, and we were last on that list. And we're still pretty low on the list for. Indeed. I was looking at the numbers for Ohio, for um, for Kentucky. We're we're still holding our own, and it's it's an interesting thing. And I and I don't think we really are going to be discussing so much the coronavirus today. It's really what and how we as a society and a world are responding to it. And you know, you can talk about what it does to your lungs and your heart and what it's like to be feeling like you're smothering in your own mucus and all those lovely things that they do on the news. Or we can talk about what's rational ways of looking at this and underlying that this is a global pandemic that's impacting individuals who each individual, all the billions in the world, have different ways of looking at the same thing. And we don't give answers to everybody, but maybe help people understand themselves and the way they're approaching this a little better. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's why I wanted to bring you on. We've had, we've had other, other doctors on and nurses and folks who've told us about things we want to do to prepare our, our bodies to, to fight the virus or to understand the virus or what to do with our behaviors in terms of keeping the virus from spreading. But, but you and I both know, and I think, I think everyone can recognize this. this, this is impacting everybody and we're all reacting to it or responding to it differently. But, but there is a whole other side of this, which is all the added stressors and psychological impact that COVID-19 is having. And you're right. It, we all have an idiosyncratic world in our own. So we're not gonna be able to address everybody, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you see are, are some of those, what, what's, what's some of that weight that's coming down on folks and, and maybe we can kind of dig into some of what's happening. And then the, the real, again, kind of one of the reasons I wanted you on, because I know you're a guy who drives right to the hope side of things or here's what we can do. We're not helpless. We're not, the, this, the, the news would love to, to just train all of us that we're absolutely helpless and we have to tune in 24-7 and just be at their feet to, to, to scare us further. But the reality is we have some things we can do, right? We have some agency. Yes, we do. And first of all, you just so, – so we're at the end of my thing usually. No, just kidding. <laughs> See ya. Um, the first thing we got to do is discuss about how this is being covered and the, the use of adjectives and the way they do. For instance, when we had our first – um, case in West Virginia. The headline in the Charleston paper was COVID virus hits West Virginia. What does that do? When we're, see, when we're seeing scenes, whether it's here or other places, listen to the adjectives, listen to them, listen to the, how they're trying to get us to think. And it's what they're supposed to do because if you don't have a crisis, you don't have 24-7 news. But they're, they're, they're emphasizing all of the horror of this. And it is, you and I talked before we went on the, on the air and we talked about, this is a terrible thing. We do not want anyone in the world to think that this is minimizing, that this is the, the worst thing. I'm 72 with diabetes and heart conditions. So this is real important to me. I've never, I've, I can deny anything. <laughs> it's really easy. And when my wife looks at me, when we're listening to the pandemic news on the, on the television, it says, and the high risk populations who should never leave their houses. Well, it's me. Yeah. It's me. And we have lots of different ways people are dealing with this. And the first one would be to minimize. You know, people, if you can keep people away from the television, first piece of advice I'm going to give everyone besides wash your hands, keep distance, and stay in your house, whatever people are saying, is don't spend your time on the news stations. Um, I'm dreading now because we have the governor on usually at the midday. We've got the president on whenever he has to itch himself. Um, but, and we get different stories and 
there's some very simplistic things. This is a pandemic. This is a worldwide thing. It's hit 180-something countries now, 180 countries. We don't know what it is. We still don't. And people are trying to find out. And our poor scientists are being forced into a, a position where they're, the United States in particular, we want an answer yesterday. We may have been in denial for, what, a gazillion years since 1918, saying things have been this bad. We had SARS, we had swine flu, we had a whole bunch of other things. We expect an answer. And we also expect a pill or a shot. Right. And so when we don't have this, on top of this pandemic being, leaving us feeling uncontrolled, panicky um, in a lot of ways, bewildered, I could give you every adjective in the confused book. Everybody's going to feel one of those things. I'm bewildered. I don't know how we got here. I don't know who to believe. So we're distrustful. I'm confused because somebody tells me to wear a mask and somebody tells me not to. CDC says one thing. Somebody, so I'm trying to find, for me, the way I do things is I, look, I watch and I, and I limit myself to about a half hour a day. And I listen to what is overlapping and what is convincing. And then I spend a lot of time reading, but I've had to stop that too because it makes me cuckoo because everything's about the you know, COVID virus. Um, that, that, the start of this is we know these things and we know that we're people and we're all going to respond to it differently. We're confused. We're scared. We're bewildered. We're watching businesses go down the tubes or maybe go down the tubes. And we're predicting, we're predicting, predicting doom and gloom with everything. And I don't know how it is in Grafton today or in Tiger, Tiger Valley. It's beautiful, sunshine, shiny day today. And you'd never believe that people are really sick. You know, so you, you bring up some really good points. I mean, I, I, we go back to like the messaging, you know, even, even from even before this, right? They, they figured it out, right? When, it, when, it's gonna, when a thunderstorm is coming, instead of saying a thunderstorm is coming, it's killer lightning. Right. Or or if or if, you know, it here's the temperature instead of, hey, we're going to tell you what it feels like. The temperature feels like this and it becomes this thing where we're, we're really being driven. And 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 that that same playbook is happening now. And I'll tell you, for me, when I get up, I, I, I do a couple things. Um, I, I'll listen to a, a, two short newscasts from the left and the right, basically, to try to see, to your sure. point, what's overlapping. I let the rest of it fall off. But I also look for the signal and noise, you know, that that phrase. And that's Dr. Fauci. Um, Clay Marsh, uh, the folks, th those folks at the state level and at the national level, they seem to have very clear pictures of this. And it's, and it's not that I'm trying to ignore everything else, but boy, if you try to chase all of the details of this thing, and we really don't have capacity to impact much of that anyway, right? I mean, so, yes. so get, get what we should be doing, what we're being recommended to do on a daily basis. And then it's kind of, I mean, right. So I, I guess it's, it's, let's see what happens next, right? Let's, let's pay attention but not soak it in and sit in front of the, the, the tube and just let that just uh, create anxiety, right? Yeah, and, and you've got to, I think that, that we've got to really realize the impact of media on this. That's, that this is, in my discussions with people, media is great. Sure. But when I was a kid in the 50s, we had polio. And we didn't have nightly newscasts. We did. We had Walter Cronkite and some other very famous people. But we didn't have body counts, and we didn't have how many iron lungs we needed. We didn't have we didn't have the polarized political arena either. But we've had this before. We've had tragedies before, and when we have four people have died, three out of the four have been older, and, and 
the COVID virus contributed to their death. I've got a 95-year-old mother-in-law who, you know, we're worried about bringing it to the house. We can't go visit her because we don't want to be the ones that bring in something that's going to make her suffer. So I, I just look at, at, at what we're doing with this. Were you around when we had the Rockefeller fill your bathtubs with water, snowstorm, blizzard, predicted? <laughs> I don't think so. I think oh, I was yeah. little for us. You young. <laughs> well, we got warnings, you know, that the, we're going to have the worst blizzard in the history of West Virginia. Fill your bathtubs with water because we're not sure we're going to have any water. <laughs> it snowed like six inches. <laughs> now, we did have another storm that was really wonderfully. Yeah. I, I'm from New England originally. It was a real New England storm. But we have, we have the weathermen. That, that, how many more radar things are they going to have to put on the weather stations to tell us when a little green patch is going to be moving through, get your, get your horrible weather soon. And I think we're spending a little bit of time, but I want people to think about the words that they're hearing. Bless that we're not in New York City. And I talk to my friends who are in New York City and they're sheltering in place, but the vast majority of people are not getting sick. The vast majority aren't, but the ones that are, are overwhelming certain healthcare systems with the ventilators and the, the protective gear and all that. Now that's a tragedy. We should be taking a look at not letting anybody get away with this again and not place blame, but learn from what we're doing. That's going to be a major theme by the time we're done is let's learn from what's happening here. Yeah. And so the standard, all the psychologists go to APA.org. If you want a psychologist, I've got a whole bunch of colleagues around the country and, and NAPPP who write things that are brilliant folks who have said the same thing. This is a, a once in a lifetime, hopefully, uh, illness-based, not nature-based. This is not like the derecho. This is not like tornadoes. We can't even take a picture of it. We've got those little graphics. Of it. We have to have a graphic. So we've, everybody, I bet you, thinks that the coronavirus is a little round ball with red sticky outies. <laughs> It's a little teeny microbe. It's teeny. We can't smell it. We can't touch it. We can't hear it. We can't see it. There's not a sense that we have. So we think it. And what do we do with our brains? We either make that coronavirus into something that doesn't bother us, which it should to some degree, or it makes us, I'm going to go the other side, or we're so worried about it, we're immobilized. And we get angry. We get and, and we're seeing that, and then we got the, the hoarding thing, what we we're calling hoarding, which is really understandable behavior if you kind of look at what's going on. We've got all this stuff to deal with. So when people say, so what's the psychological parts of what's going on? I said, everything, everything. And really how do you deal with it? Depends on who you are and how you deal with the world. Well, and, and, and I think the, the piece that, that maybe uh, it's easy to miss in what you just said right there, and I think it's, it's crucial what you just said, but I think the easy part to miss is, we tend to go, well, let's go polarize one side or the other. What we're not saying is this is nothing to, to worry about. Don't do anything. What we're saying is do the reasonable things, but don't then go all the way over here and completely get hysteria and, and, and soak in all of that that's being broadcasted. Sit, sit there. Do, do what needs to be done. Take the proper measures, but then live your life, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to say here. And, and live your life with civility. Um, we went up to Walmart. And a little drizzly, and we only you know, saw six people standing in line. And we went, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, we're going to go. No, I mean, it was Sam's. I'm sorry. i got to get to the right thing. So we were going to go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And my wife drove by, and we turned around, and the line wasn't just in front of Sam's. It was all the way down the building. It was yeah. 20 minutes after they opened. 
and people are complaining. Well, what they've done now is they put those six foot markers to help us out because we weren't doing it on our own. We weren't, I got a gift yesterday at the office. It was no Friday. I got a gift. It was wonderful. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. I got a thing of Clorox wipes, 75 of them. And I got a generic Lysol aerosol spray. It's, it's the best gift I've been given in centuries. I haven't found any. <laughs> so I think the two extremes are, are stupid because we waste time and we, and we want to convince other people that the, the, the naysayers say, Oh, don't do it. Like people who are, I won't go into people who are going and going to large things like Corona party, virus parties, <laughs> um, kids walking down the street in large groups, playing basketball and, and spitting on each other. But we have that group of the, that, and it, that really irritate me. And then we've got the other ones that won't, that are getting depressed because they're making themselves prisoners in their own world and creating that. And then we've got the rest of us, I hope, that are kind of frustrated. And I, I've got a small, I'm a small businessman. You know, we get X amount of referrals a week, which we count on. I have to bill a certain number of hours a week to keep things going. I'm scared a little bit. Let's navigate into that because I agree with that. I think most people and if the people I've talked to, people I've seen, I mean, you always can point out knuckleheads on either side and there's plenty of examples for that. But I think the majority of people are trying to take this pragmatically and do the right things. But that still doesn't mean they're going to be without some massive level of stress that's hanging over because maybe kids are home now and they weren't home before. And now you're being asked to be a teacher and you don't know how to be a teacher. And, you know, small business wise, I'm a small business. We've got, how are we going to make sure we keep people paid and, and all these, these challenges. And maybe you're a recovering addict and how do you, now you've got this added stress or maybe you're prone to domestic violence and now you're cooped up in the house. I mean, there are so many, you have a death in the family, all these things. So everyone has to, as you mentioned earlier, kind of these individual challenges, but we're all going to have some level of challenge. And you mentioned, obviously, unplug the news, you know, don't sit and just soak that stuff in, whether it's through the internet, the TV, or whatever you're, however you're getting it, get your, get whatever dose you need and then be done. What are other things that people maybe want to avoid or, 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 or things they should do that might be healthy? Again, I know that's hard to paint with a broad brush like that, but do you have any kind of suggestions in that way? Well, let's, let's start off with, I think you raised a couple of things. There, there are people that are at risk, not just for the virus, but for having the secondary effects, the psychological effects. And I don't know how people have actually, the politicians have actually been supportive of mental health treatment. They're not paying much for it, but they're still doing it. And most of us, I'm not doing any therapy now, so I don't have to go out and do this. But we, we know the people who come into this circ these circumstances, and I'm, I'm, I wanna make sure I'm putting my words right here, who already have anxiety-based and other and depressive-based disorders are likely to have a, a more difficult time with this than others will. Um, people who are already warriors, people who tend to catastrophize, and I'm not being judgmental with this, right, right. Um, people who are fearful by nature, um, people who see the, the doom and gloom from their personality side, not even from having uh, a mental disorder, but the doom and gloomers. Yeah, they come into this, and they're very, very different than the person who's the Susie Sunshine and the Sammy Happy. You know, we, we have this other side of things. And we have to realize that the people that are hurting, when they can't cope, or when they're having trouble coping, it's not because they want to. They're not looking to be pathetic figures. This, they're, they're, they're having trouble. There are people that I've talked to that are scared because they can't see their therapist. Well, what we're doing today didn't exist 15 years ago. Right. Although I've been doing telemed for about 20 years in some form. 
I think it's 20, but you and I are sitting together. And, and mm-hmm. so we have, we have phones and we have video conferencing and we have the stuff that can bring the world together. You can talk to your therapist, not just hear their voice, but you can talk to them and see that they're actually, you know, not reading the newspaper while they're, while you're saying stuff, you can be connected. Being connected is still fundamentally one of the most important things at the level that's important to you. There are some people, I don't know whether how your spouse is or what, but my, my wife will come home from work and other than talking to her sister, she would rather not ever talk on the phone ever again after she leaves the office. She's just, she's just overwhelmed by it. She doesn't need that. I like that. I like being in touch with people. I'm, I'm a big emailer and texter and emojis and, you know, trying to make my, my if you ever saw one of my family te- texts, that's the most, most entertaining thing in the world. Cause I have four siblings, three siblings who are really crazy. And I'm, I'm really, they're, they're, they're out of their minds. Um, hysterical. And we do claim and family stuff that makes us all laugh. We have a new joy in our lives. And this is the part. So we, we have to recognize that there are some people, they do need contact with somebody who's therapeutic or a group chat, like, a, like on a Zoom thing where you can do the group. They need to make sure they're still taking their medications. They more than anyone have to realize you're not restricted to your house. We have 20 foot away neighborhood discussions still. I've had more good conversations with the neighbors on both sides of me in the past week than I have since last summer. It's wonderful. And the kids know, the kids are really funny. They're like dogs with those fences. They start running and then they go, they, they know the six foot rule and they kind of stop yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like at a shot call. So we have people who have true emotional disorders who are trying to cope. People who are, have chronic mental illness who are relying on group homes. What do you do now with group homes and nursing homes? When do we ever had to try to figure out how much space we needed so that we didn't let this biologic anomaly come to us. So we have to deal with those things and recognize that somebody who is autistic, and I don't like to say autistic, but somebody who has, has the autism spectrum may not want to be around other people. They don't deal with change well. And little kids don't deal with change well. Um, they don't understand stuff. They don't have the cognitive ability. They, they hear the word dying and you, you see your parents staring at the television set. Um, these are things that we have to be aware that we have that group of vulnerable people. We have the people who get sick. Uh, Cuomo, the broadcaster, has been doing a wonderful job of talking about how it was when he was hallucinating his father standing there, who had used to be the governor of New York, and how scary it is. And that they, they, and, and now we have the, we have this this whole thing with all the world leaders are getting sick who are coming out positive. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start looking at. at from the vulnerable, vulnerable people who are vulnerable from psychological reasons to what would happen to them if they did get coronavirus or what happens with people who have been healthy and always been able to overcome anything in their lives. You've been a superstar in what you've tried to do. You, okay. you, you're one of those guys that sets us, if you have a goal, what do you do to get there? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. when have you not been able to figure a way to get around most things? Yeah, well, there's willers away, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you were in the seminar when I talk about I, almost, I, went, I had some really major financial problems about 20, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of big financial problems where I used to have to get pro, um, permission to spend the change that I found in my pocket 
Um, <laughs> that was that bad. Perseverance, resilience, practicality, figuring out what your style is and dealing with things. So we have all these vulnerable people. We have the idea that people who are somaticizers, my wife wakes up in the morning. I do too now because I'm, I'm at risk and it's, it's, it's allergy season. I'm going, oh my gosh, yeah. is, is that the first time? <coughs> you know, is that the first sign? I think we've all had moments like that. It's like, my shortness of breath? What's going on here? Yeah. So what we're doing by saying this, I hope, is we're normalizing a wide range of behaviors that everybody may or may not experience. Some people are very narrow in the way they view things. Some people are very broad. The difficulty is we like to find people that see the world the way we do or can comfort us the way we need to be comforted. So here's something I haven't heard people talk about. When you're listening and talking to people, there's three levels at which people respond to things cognitively, the way they think. Okay, so they're the, the mathematicians or the scientists or the rational thinkers or the studiers. Then you have the emoters, the affectively based people, that they deal with the world primarily in feelings. So for a thinker, you start thinking and everything from that, um, everything flows from that. So if you think negative, you feel negative. If you feel negative, you think negative. Yeah. Okay? And we have two levels of feelings. One is affective, emotional. The other is physical feelings. When you feel badly, like you're sweaty, or you're, when you get anxious and you, and you relate to the world that way. You have some people that talk, what we call, I call soma talk. You ever heard of that before? They so. talk through that. I, I can't stand this. Um, it makes me sick to my stomach. I can't, I can barely think. And they don't use the terms that we would use. You have to learn to listen to them and the way they think. And when you try to say something to someone and they don't understand what you're saying to them to be supportive, it may not be, the fault of either side. It may be me trying to speak somebody, I was watching somebody who was Turkish last night with an interpreter. I can't do psychotherapy with somebody who only speaks Armenian or Turkish or whatever. Yeah. So we all relate to the world and, and when we're watching the news, some of us, if you can hear me watching the news, it's, I, I said, if that person says another word like that, I'm throwing my shoe with the television. <laughs> Other people would say, boy, you know, I need more facts. Or yeah. that doesn't make me feel good. Or I'm getting really uncomfortable with this. We've got three different ways people respond. So we have to talk to people in languages that they understand and not condemn people when they don't seem to hear the message you're giving. Boy, that is so, that, that's so powerful. I hope people, yeah, boy, that, that's something I'm going to be taking to heart. And, I, you know, I, and I remember that, you know, I used to, at times, I've traveled around the world, not recently, so I didn't bring anything back, thank goodness. But um, I can remember being in different cultures and, and, you know, my mannerisms, all I communicate really well around here. People always get what I'm saying and people are kind of looking at me kind of clueless. Well, I'm using nonverbals that we're used to here or I'm using phrases that, that, that work here in this culture and, and they just didn't over there. Um, it's really that, that, but what you said at the end to not then demonize because somebody doesn't understand or they think differently than you do, boy, we all need a, a healthy, healthy dose of that, uh, without a doubt. You, you mentioned, so, so there's a lot you mentioned there and I think it, it's key to, again, and I think you, you articulate it really well. People are going to have to be able to, to take that and, and individually then apply that. But it seems like there's a, there's a little theme I picked out of there is what you were saying is, um, if, if we're able to externalize, not, not our feelings necessarily, but but instead of, you know, we may feel bad, we may feel uh, nervous or anxious or, or depressed or whatever may be coming. But if there's a way we can turn outwardly to connect with someone, whether that's 
a neighbor, a family member, and there's lots of ways to do that. You, you know, we can't maybe sit next to each other in the park, but there's lots of ways. You can sit across from each other in the park, maybe. Um, I, I, I might say, you know, as I, I was digging on that, just a little bit of personal uh, inventory. Maybe me doing this. I mean, I, I joke. There was an old comedian. I think Stephen Wright used to have a, a joke. He would say um, when he was a kid, he saw Smokey Bear on the TV, and he said only you can prevent forest fires, and he didn't sleep for three weeks. And that's kind of how I feel. You know, this, this virus is gripping the world. I'm like, what can I do? And that may be some of my defense mechanism popping in to say, you know, I'm going to help some people, and that's going to help me feel better potentially. Um, but I, I think there's little ways we can all do those and things, whether it's, I mean, my wife's making some masks. I know lots of people are doing that. Um, checking on a neighbor from a distance, um, all of those things. Would you, would, would that be helpful for folks to, to maybe kind of get out of their own head for just a minute too? I mean, I'm not talking yeah. about, but I'm not talking about ignoring those feelings, but, but being engaged with others. Well, let's, I think if, if we do what we're supposed to do, and I've got your, your notes, which say everything the same, everybody, we know that hand washing will eliminate, or, or sanitizing, will eliminate 50% of our risk. 50%. All we could have, I've got my little squeezy thing, and oh yeah, I still have skin on my hands. Um, I saw something online with a guy with skeletal hands saying, I've been washing my hands, there's nothing left to wash. Yeah. It's now becoming a part of me. I, I carry a wipe out of my car now, and, I, and, and I'm not even thinking about it. I don't have a mask, because I can't find a mask. Um, they, they haven't got any that they'll give us around here. But I think if we do the things we can do without being babies about it, we have to, we're change, remember, we're changing behaviors. We're asking people in the most self-centered country in the world. We are the most individually oriented country that for one person, if you offend one person by mistake, you've offended everybody. I am a, well, that's another, another time we can do this. Podcast. <laughs> we'll pick so, that up on another one. Wash your hands. Well, I, I just find because I'm, I'm, I'm opinionated and sometimes I slip. I'm 72 years old. I'm not politically correct all the time. And I'll say one bad thing to a group of 150 people. And what do I get feedback on? That one thing. Yep. One thing. So you've got to be real sensitive to, to, to different people. Wash your hands. Maintain the six-foot distance. I've got people now that are giving me psychological strong arms. If I, if I violate... The system, they say, they're doing, I'm not offended by that. I don't make fun of them. Right. So let's do what we can do. I, as a therapist, one of the things that I've learned in 50 years of doing this stuff is I have not experienced everything everybody else has experienced in the world. And so what I, try, I have tried to do as a therapist, I have skills and techniques to help people learn to think differently, to think differently feel physically differently and to help them cope physically differently. I used to do a lot of oncologic work. I did a lot of neurology. I worked with people with seizure disorders, not just depression and anxiety. And I had to talk to them about their issues and finding out that, boy, could they teach me stuff. Some people who are, I, I hate the, the fact that we, we always come up with our, our word of, of the crisis, but we have all these brave heroes out there now. They are. And if you've ever, I've worked in ER. If I was not my age, you know what I'd volunteer to do right now? I'd volunteer to work in the emergency room or in a, in a coronavirus place. Those bags are called ambu bags before you put them on the vent. I used to do that as an inhalation therapy aide when I was 16 years old. I was an orderly. I changed beds and and, and, and gave bed baths and stuff. I, I don't have anything that I would want to offer right now from a psychological standpoint, except beer. I'd want to do that. Feeling useful. 
maintaining some, um, I don't want to say a schedule, but some set of predictable behaviors. Sitting, doing something really great, which I think, I wish my son didn't live in California. Sitting down and having dinners and getting the kids used to sitting down and, and, and figuring a way of structuring those meals at times so you don't all just sit there and, and peek down at your phones. Um, playing puzzles, using your imagination, and changing behavior. So we're going to ask people who have, I live my life in a very predictable way. I'm very competitive. I get up every morning at a certain time. I can be out of the house in 17 and a half minutes, and I can be at the office in 23 and a half minutes if I brush. I watched Manifest, I watched seven, eight episodes of Manifest till four o'clock in the morning because I knew I didn't have to be there until I suddenly remembered I had a nine o'clock conference call. <laughs> um, set, set goals and set goals that, that fit you. Do you set big goals? Are you a big person, big per picture person? Or are you a stepwise person? Do you think matrixly? This is another thing that, that you can teach people. Some people are linear people. Mathematicians are linear, except those stupid people that do calculus. Um, I don't understand that. Um, and then there's matrix people. For me, every event in my life is somehow connected to every other event in my life. And when I react, I react with this impulse going through my whole network. And out of me comes a reaction. And some people go, huh? where'd that come from? My wife is linear, and she's only involved with the last event that has occurred in that line. So if somebody's nice to her, people are nice, and I'm, I'm, I'm embellishing this a little bit. But if somebody's nasty to her or rude, they're rude. And they don't think back to the other things people have done. Um, so I think understanding, I, I, the thing when, we, when you asked me to do this, I really wanted to have is every single person that may watch this needs to take a look at how they deal with the world and how they're dealing with the world is different from others, but not wrong. Um, I'm very involved with Leadership West Virginia, and I think you knew that. And um, there's a woman that does the, the testing part now because I've stopped doing my sessions. And there's a woman named Margie Bush who does the Myers-Briggs. And one of the things that's valuable about instruments like that, it's not that they were clinically useful for me as a, as, as a practicing psychologist, but they're really useful for human development because they show how people see the world differently and they operate and they process information differently. And so coronavirus or COVID-19, what does that mean to you? Do you think it's a scam? Do you think it's overblown? Why? What does it make you feel like? How do you go out dealing with it? How do you deal with change? We're being asked to change our fundamental way we're looking at the world. No football. For me, no Masters tournament. Uh, yeah. Killing me. Um, it really isn't. Because what I finally realized is, you know what? I'm having a really good time. At times, I feel terrible. I don't want to get sick. I really don't want to get sick. But I'm not going to sit here at my house for 24-7 in my bedroom or in my study and never walk outside when it's almost 80 degrees. I'm lucky enough that my office, I can, I can drive 3.2 miles to my office, never see anybody, take a hand wipe and go in and sit at my computer. And, and, and by the governor's um, orders, I'm in a business of less than five people um, and we have no public access. I'm, I can go to my office. Yeah. 
Do I? Not every day. I'm looking at this suffocation. I, I was just going to say, you know, that's one of those things. That, so obviously, if you're on a ventilator at the last stages of this illness, you have very few options. But for most of us, the vast, vast, vast majority of us, um, we have lots of options. We're being asked to stay at home. Um, maybe you've lost your job or, or maybe you've, you, you've got some other challenges, but, but still, there are things we can do. And you just listed a ton of stuff in terms of actions and things that people can take, again, in their own individual way um, to, to find a way not just to cope, but actually to thrive or to flourish through this. And I got to tell you, it's weird. Um, you know, we were talking, there, there's, there's a lot of upside to some of what we're being asked to do here. Um, maybe. Oh, we hang out with families, you know, in some cases, some families maybe don't want that. Otherwise, this isolation, I'm kind of loving it, man. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of built for some of this isolation, frankly. Um, so, so I guess I, one of the things that I, I, I tend to look at, and I think this is every opportunity, every, every challenge we're all faced with in life is a chance for us to either, you know, we can get harder, we can get softer, or we can get better. Is the way, and I, there's a book I read, you know, years ago, or maybe that's only been a little while ago. I think it was called Antifragility or something like that. It was the idea of being anti-fragile versus instead of hardening, because at some point you're going to break, or just being soft and being dropped by everything. What comes at you actually makes you better, makes you thrive more. And this looks to me like something, an opportunity for us as humanity, but certainly for me or you or anybody individually, to take as an opportunity to improve. And I'm not saying learn a new language and all that kind of stuff. I know that's going on, and if that's your thing, great. I just mean, um, I, I sense that this is an opportunity that we can all take in our own idiosyncratic way to, to become better as people. Is that, am I off on that? Is it accurate? No, I, I, th I think that we, we do have some fundamental things. The people I mentioned earlier, the people who have been in recovery for addictions, we've got a big problem there. We have an elderly population. For instance, the thing you just talked about, about, uh, about being connected, um, I think we have to plan. We have to start thinking about things. We, you don't, have to plan, you don't have to go and buy 2,000 rolls of toilet paper, but you've got to plan for food. You've got to plan. They say two weeks. You've got to plan. But one of the other things you've got to plan is, what if something does go awry? Mm -hmm. um, I have this strength, saying goodbye to grandma. My dad died in 1977, and I was in New York for Tuesday through Thursday of the week that he died, actually founding a national society. And... When I came back into the, in, into the hospital room, that was the first time I saw what I saw. So it was the first time for me. People get rat, families are really weird. My, my brothers and sisters wanted to say, well, they saw him more than I did. <laughs> I said, for me, because I, I got really upset seeing him in the hospital bed. We've got to realize that our experiences that we bring in, we've got to plan for things. If you've got a 95-year-old parent or an 80 or 72-year-old spouse, I'm not an old 72, I hope. If I got sick, I'd really want to sit with my wife if I still had lung capacity and say to her, this is what I love you, dear. Make sure Sean knows this, do that. And not just keep hoping that the bad isn't going to happen. And reality hits. I mean... If somebody who is, 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 uh, is 70, 80, 90 years old gets, it, gets this, this horrible disease, there is a better chance than not that they're going to get sick like they would with pneumonia if they broke a hip. Accept mm -hmm. that reality. And, I, and I've tried, Alex, this is one of the things I, I came up with the other day. I've tried to figure out what it must be like to be the people who are ill. That's what I do as a psychologist. I try to put myself in somebody else's shoes. Sure. So I was remembering when my dad was sick from pancreatic cancer. 
And here I am, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an oncology specialist. I've been doing death and dying and grieving and dealing with cancer. And I'm driving in Boston after I came home from that, that three-day trip to New York. Nice two cities I don't want to be in right now. But I'm driving at about 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. And some kids who had been partying decided that they would stop in front of my cars to let nature take its course. And they were laughing and screaming and doing what they had to do. And about a mile and a half, two miles down the road that you could still see was the Dana-Farber Cancer Center. And I'm sitting in my car crying because my dad, I, I, when I talk about my dad, it, it's, it's amazing. Here I am on a, Friday, a Thursday night in Boston. These people are living their regular lives like we do now. What's going on with all those other people out there that are dealing with corona? Because not everybody has people with cancer like a Dana-Farber. And that night, I was the person or the family with COVID. And I was, I was angry in my car. How can you all be laughing and having a good time when my dad is probably on his last legs up at that? I'm getting emotional when I say it. And that was in 1977. And, and so what must it be like for those of us that are, are trying to communicate to people to say to people, how do, you, how do you experience or understand how hard it would be? Because we don't like to think about that stuff unless we're catastrophizers. And so this week, I've been thinking about my dad sitting in that hospital bed, knowing that he had 24 hours left for his chemotherapy. And if it didn't work, they'd pull it and he'd probably be dead within, and he was, they pulled it at four o'clock, he was dead at eight. And that's what the people that we, we have to relate to understanding why they may be angry that they can't go to funerals and say goodbye because that's part of our culture. So here's my next piece, don't wait. Call your friends, text them. I, I've been on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Those are the only two I use. And on my regular stuff, I'm writing just brief notes to people I haven't talked to for 10 years. My best friend divorced me a couple of years ago and I'm trying to work up the courage to write them and say, look, I know you didn't like me when you broke up with me as my best friend. And this was since college, but I'm, I've missed you every day that we haven't had our friendship. Um, so Michael, who lives in Connecticut, if you're watching Unleashed, I miss you, buddy. And so we do that. And my next door neighbor made a mistake. Well, not a mistake. He, he gave me wisdom the other day. Um, we have grass, not this grass. <laughs> grass. So I'm, I'm, I wouldn't do the other grass. And he looked at me, we had, we had weed killer come in. And he just, he said something very prophetic. He said, this year we're going to make sure the grass grows really well because it's going to beat out the weeds the good grass will if we take care of it will beat out the weeds that don't need need to be taken care of the bad so what we have to do is we have to look to try to be better people because we keep talking about being this unified country we're not really unified we've got to be honest about that um i'm behind the mask without the mask i'm being friendly i'm still trying to crack jokes in the in the, in, in the store if i have to go um, I think we have to be civil. Uh, take a look at our own behavior when we, when we have 20 rolls of toilet paper stacked up in our carts, when we have two cases worth of sanitizer, when, when you don't have a mask. Think about what other people may not have that you do have, and what can you give emotionally, monetarily? I, I, I don't like to say it, but I belong to a country club. It's my one huge extravagance in my life. 
Um, we had to lay off three quarters of our employees and I'm on the board. The pain of that was horrible yeah. because these are wonderful people. So we have to be open to hearing the pain of other folks. We may not be able to do anything, but we can acknowledge it. You, you can, if we gave money to every charity that's been on television in the past two weeks, I wouldn't be able to buy groceries next month, but yeah. I'm targeting things. Um, hospice is a big thing for me. Um, seeking to grow as a human being and become understanding of differences, understanding what it must be like to be in, a, in, a, in an inner city school and not be able to go to school and be locked in a tenement where you can't go out. Why do these people fight? The other night I, I read one of the best examples. My wife, well, I saw one of the best examples. My wife who wasn't going to hoard when we got to the store, stuff was gone. And she said, you know, now when I come and I see this, I want to get that stuff. And when, I, and when that's on the shelf, I want more than one. But I also realized that if other people are taking it, it's scaring me because maybe I need to be frightened that we won't have enough toilet paper or food. So we have this and we have. So we have to, this is the next piece. Gain perspective from others. Don't look for them to validate the way you feel. Ask them how they're reacting to things. And learn from that. And if it's different from you, ask them how they got there. Is it through their faith? Is it because they've been, they, they had a background in bio, biomedical science before they became a, a teacher or an attorney or a street sweeper or whatever else? The, the two things that I learned when I started out as a um, clinical psychologist, and this is really important to me as we go, go on with this, um, Man is more simply human than anything else. It's a paraphrase by Harry Stack Sullivan, who was an analyst, but it was the first thing I, that the guy that taught me abnormal psych said. He said, this is what you're going to learn about this year. We all love our kids. Well, most of us do, unless they're screaming. And my cat's been really good, hasn't she? Yeah. Uh, we, but but we, if, you, if you look at pictures from Africa with people who are starving, with the, with the flies around them and people that don't even have food, what are they? They're holding their kids. They're grieving over a lost person, whether you're Palestinian or Israeli or you're from the U.S. or from Russia. Look at the people in Russia wearing all of our clothes. I have a really, really good friend who's in Australia who cracks me up when, I, when, when we Skype. We used to just Skype. Now we do other things. But they're all dressed in U.S. sports regalia and a couple in European soccer. So we're more simply human. We love our people. We, we, we're human. We make mistakes. We're not all-knowing. We step on people's toes. And the hardest things that I have to say a lot of times because I step on toes is, I'm sorry. And I really mean that when I say it. I don't say it softly. Is Admit your foibles. Go back and say to someone, I, I said something the other day that bothered me. And that's one part. And the other is to thank people to tell them that they do a good job during this time. Your friends who are physicians, I, I, live on, I have ER docs on both sides of me, working 13 and 14 hour shifts, having to provide their own scrubs and wash their own scrubs. So man is more simply human than anything else. And we have to remember that. That we have to grow lawns that take effort to keep the weeds from growing. That means we've got to stifle hate. We've got to understand that that the people who might be, if we were at the Javits Center or anything else in one of those places, the person next to us might be a street person 
or might be a, um, of a different faith or might be of a different race or may, might be alone or whatever it may be. We have to look at we're more simply human than anything else. And that means all the things that I've said before, the way we think, the way we view the world, our need for contact, that's huge. And the second thing that this man said the first week, and his name was George, is George Higgins, I think he's still alive, um, is the story of psychopathology is a story about a search for love that's gone wrong. Love for yourself, love for others, and love by others. And if any of those searches go wrong, you have the tendency to develop psychopathology, depression, anxiety, all of the other kinds of things that we have to deal with as therapists. So in this world, if you know those two things, man is more simply human than anything else, and our lives are st a story of a search for love. When you look at your kids at night, let's start relishing these small things with the, the, the light coming in and that kid that's asleep that you were just so angry at an hour before because they wouldn't brush the teeth, his, his or her teeth. Um, when your spouse does something, my, my wife did something really funny last night and we were like two little kids laughing, um, relishing that. And this, so the next piece is, I've got these little things that I try to teach. How many $10 bills have you ever found? On the, I'm going to ask you, Alex, how many $10 bills have you ever found sitting on the street? Not uh, of recent memory, none that I can think of. Probably none in your life. Yeah. Probably haven't even found many $1 bills. But how many pennies have you walked by? Oh, yeah, a ton of pennies. Oh, I, I, picked, I, I was taught long ago you pick pennies up. <laughs> but, but if all of us picked up the pennies or there's this, this um, computer program now that rounds up to the next dollar, on your, on your credit card or when you, when you spend money. If you do the pennies, and this is what we ask people to do, look today for the pennies, for a demented parent who suddenly is with it for five minutes, um, for the kids running around on the street. Last night I was watching one of my neighbor's kids whack his sister over the bicycle helmet hit with a, with a pole. It was a hint that he wanted to use that little electric cart. <laughs> it was a hint. That was, and, then, and then my next door neighbor's kid who I'm in love with, I want him to be my grandson. And he, he just, I, I, I go up to him, he does that, he stops, but I go, top, top. I got this big smile, and that makes my whole day. I challenge people to, this is, a, it's a simple thing. I was recently honored to get an award um, here in West Virginia. And what it's done is it's made me real reflective, not over the top celebratory, which I am, but I'm into gratitude. Um, I'm blessed that I came from Boston in 1974, and this is my home, and people like you and I, we've known each other for I came how many years when I first met you, but you, you called and you asked, hey, would you be willing to do this and have a discussion and go down the rabbit holes and just be a person. Man is more simply human than anything else. And so what I do now, and, I'm, and, I, and I try to do this pretty regularly, is I, I have my gratitude checklist when I get into bed at night. Did I pay my bills this week? Um, did I get a, I got a letter from someone last week thanking me for something I did 22 years ago. Who knew? When you, when you see how many people go on LinkedIn, when, you, when, you, when, you have, when you've been recognized for an award and, and the nice things people say. Um, my staff these wonderful people that I work with, there's five of us total, but the three women that are my three-legged stool, I couldn't do without them. And uh, 
they're as worried about the business as I am. And I come home and I say, this is amazing. They're not people that are sneaking out. They're people that are sneaking up. They want to make it better. So for everybody, whatever your station in life is, what you have for dinner, um, hearing from a friend, connecting with a friend, um, laughing, I think, when a group of us sit around and sing. That's not exactly what it is, by the way. When we're washing our hands, so we have our 20 seconds. <laughs> we were into a happy birthday celebration thing. Somebody just started it in the bathroom at one of the restaurants, and there were four of us, and we're all doing our hands, we're all singing happy birthday to somebody. Okay, but look at you laughing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All of those things. So, so now we're in this horrible state. We have been in horrible states throughout our lives. Sure. I'm a Vietnam vet kid. I, I had friends that died in the war. I've been doing PTSD treatment in, in my clinical practice since 1977. No, earlier. I was an intern in 70. So 73, 74, before we even knew what PTSD was. Young kids that came back and saw things that you and I would not want to see. Um, we've had the derecho. We've had upper big branch anniversary. Ten years was this week. We've had horrible things. And what happens, what is the human spirit? Is we, we, we never stop grieving, by the way. Grieving never goes away when you lose someone or something. Yeah, right. But you grow from it. I still have what I call George days, Alex. That's the days that I think of my, my dad. Um, my dad, I'm the oldest of six kids. Um, and what I remember when he was dying is I would call him and I would cry almost every night. And one night I called and I didn't cry. So he called my sister and he said, did I tick off David? Because he didn't cry. <laughs> and I was, I was getting ready to go to the hospital. I had just been called to go. And my dad, when I tried to do stuff, he said, it was one night that I remember really clearly. And this is, this is apropos to what, what happens now about, about making sure that your, your chapters with the people that are important to you are taken care of now. This is the serious part of making this something better. When my dad was starting his chemotherapy, he had to go into the hospital. And we all said, we're going to sit with dad. We won't leave him alone. So I, of course, had to go in. And I have ADD <laughs> or itchy pants or something. So I'm sitting in the thing. And there's these old cushions, neoprene cushions, when you, when you go, you move on, they go, so I'm yeah. sitting there, and about 15 minutes after I'm there, my father goes, hey. He says, what? He says, what are you doing? I'm sitting here with you. He says, that's sitting? And I said, yeah. He says, you're squirming. And I said, well, it's not the greatest chair in the world. He says, I knew you wouldn't last. They knew you wouldn't last. He says, you're the only one that doesn't need to be here. This is, this is wonderful for me. You and I, have our, we've, we've written the last chapter yesterday. We started the new chapter today. And if we look around and we hold our people that have lost people, at my age, I go to more funerals than I do weddings now. This is what I think we can do. We can open ourselves up. We can start, we can have our book, the chapter today end, and have it be the beginning for a new chapter. So wherever we are, it's going to be okay. And my dad just looked at me and said, you don't have to be here tonight. I said, go home, be ready for the abuse because they've already taken a pool on how short a time you would stay here. <laughs> and you have to know yourself. You have to be aware, be self-aware of how you come across and what you do. And then invite people in. And when I went home, I walked in the house 
there was hysteria because I didn't even make it two hours. And I said, then I looked and said, who won? Boy, did that take the wind out of their sails. <laughs> and in this, as we're doing this, is be, the, be aware of how you might be impacting others with your behavior. Realize that if you're a warrior, what's going to do to your kids? They, they can hear. If you're a cavalier, what's it going to do to your kids and to your spouse and to your friends? If you're a warrior, what's it going to do? These are the things we have control over. We do not have control over who's going to get the COVID virus. We really don't. We have control over the way we think, the way we feel physically, and the way we respond emotionally. That's what we have control over. Meditate. Learn how to do relaxation exercises. Watch movies that you might not have had a chance. Do something now with the time you have with people or for yourself that you wouldn't have done if we didn't slow down. I said to Janet last night, you know what? I haven't had a couple of referrals with slow, but I'm not going to the office in a panic because I don't have any deadlines right now. And do you know what? I'm amazed. I'm sleeping better. I'm sleeping better for the first time. And I can't tell you how long. Thank you, COVID virus, for showing me. So with all of this, we're more simply human than anything else. We have a number of different ways. We look at the world differently. We all have a different set of values. Learn from the differences in others. The stuff that I've said today is not just me. It's all the people that have taught me. It's my dad, who when he got the pancreatic cancer, um, I left the house that morning like I would have somebody that I, that I know would have coronavirus because I, I couldn't get, I can't go and hug him. I can't do anything. I'd be angry at myself for not making sure the chapter was done. But my dad's finally, he looked at me. We were standing by the side of a swimming pool. That he, both of us shared one thing in common. We were both waterfront instructors. We were both taught swimming. And we were both at the same camp. If I turned this thing, I could show you a picture from 19, I think 18, when my dad was in the camp in Maine, same place. Wow. Yeah. And um, we, were, we were really good friends. I hope it shows. Yeah, yeah. And he looked at me and he just said, because I did his eulogy on the same pulpit I was bar mitzvah. And uh, talked about him being a dad and what's, what's meaningful. And at the last line was that he said, is, the way he said it was, live today, don't wait, be grateful. We were standing by a swimming pool. He'd always wanted a swimming pool. And he and my mom had decided that the six of us were grown. They were moving to a house with a swimming pool and he never got to swim in it. Hmm. And so with all of this, let's put the effort to grow our lawns. And in our neighborhood, one of our neighbors actually mows our lawn for us. So the whole expanse will look really good. Do what you can. I'm, I'm the cheerleader. I'm the old guy <laughs> with a really strange sense of humor. Um, Make this a chance that we can get rid of the hate. The, this is, this is the, the, um, the science fiction attack that we, that we think about from outer space. Yeah. We are powerless to do anything about this right now. We're going to get a, vir- a vaccine. I know we will. But you know what? It won't. It won't take care of it all. We'll get a medicine that will lower the mortality rate. It's not going to take care of it all. But if we watch the people that are brave right now doing what they do, like soldiers, like cops, I'm a real first responder advocate and try to take care of, especially policemen who have been in high risk situations. Um, 
this is, I think, what we can do with this. We can sit back and learn. One is we have to demand of our, our the people that, that we elect that work for us, that we have to be prepared for eventualities and not politicize things that, that should be humanized. And we can work together to do that by being nonpartisan. Um, I'm, I just really think that's important to thank people that help us ask for help when we need it and not be so proud. And then when we're done, so we're not angry at people that don't offer. Cause a lot of times if you go to a funeral home, do you know really what to say? No. Oh, best lesson I learned is one of the women that lost her son tragically young said, I knew everyone that was there. I couldn't say hi to everyone, but I remember every single face that came through that line and everybody that came made me feel better. Well, what can we do with COVID? We can see what this feed people need food. When we go out, we just don't think of ourselves. We recognize that we are different from others and that what we think they need, they may not need what they think they, they should talk about. They may not want to talk about. They may talk differently. They may have cultural changes. They may have differences. We can be better than we've been. We can stop hate and the, the virus should be our trigger, our catalyst. And I, I know I'm being preachy, but I really mean this. This stinking little bug that's right now ruining our lives. We're going to go back. You know what the 24-7 media does. This is really a big deal right now because we can milk it. But what's going to be in six months? We're going to have a retrospective. We're going to still have thousands and thousands of people still grieving. Maybe grieving like they never had to grieve before. Man is more simply human than anything else. We need humanity. We need kindness. We need to trust each other a little bit better. We've got to get rid of hate. We've got to get rid of hate. Um, I'm a minority. Um, I just watched 60 Minutes last night. I don't know if you watched. Did you watch 60 Minutes this week? I did not, no. They are doing this project where they create animated 3D live representations of people. Just like you're on, on the screen right now, you would look exactly, shaking your hand with your arms crossed, everything. They right. film these people in this bubble, and they've got 22 people who are in the Holocaust. And you can interact with them by asking them questions. Oh, wow. So last night, Diane uh, Sawyer, no, it was Leslie Stahl, was asking questions of these people. And the computer is set up with AI to take what we say as live people and actually interact. It would be, hi, Alex. Well, hi, David. Mm -hmm. Or we haven't met, what's your name? And it, the AI takes the thing. So through the whole interview, there, it, it was, and they showed pictures of people in Germany. And then I think of all the genocide and I think of the, the, the things that we do to, to separate us. And I refuse to give in. And I continue to think man is more, no, I, I do not like some people, I will say that. <laughs> um, man is more simply human than anything else and that's what we got to learn from all of this from the parents with their kids finding a way to do it your way learning from others and getting hints but don't feel badly if they give you a hint and you don't do it that way you don't have to but take what they give you take that piece of clay and shape it the way you want it to be for you if you've got an ADHD kid or you've got an autistic kid or you've got a, just a nasty little kid it's going to be very different for you if than if you have a laid-back, artistic, ethereal kid who can keep him or herself busy for hours. What are we going to do with people that are, are different from us, transgender, racial, whatever else? What, are you going to refuse them if you give blood or, or something? Are you going to refuse them the bed in a hospital because of what they are? No. They're sick. 
we need to help them. So I think for us now, it's, it's um, if this does not impact everybody forever from a psychological mental health perspective, then there's something the matter with people and they've, they, they, they're just on the denial side of the thing. They're just not willing to open their eyes. When you see that what happens in big cities with the, the exhausted physicians and nurses and, and everybody that's working, when you see fear. So let's take lack of control and try to give it back. Let's take fear and panic and put planning and friendship. Let's take away abdicating personal responsibility and making it somebody else's job to take care of us. And let's do our job to take care of us. Let's do our part. So, because if you go to the hospital and you haven't been washing your hands, you haven't been taking distance and you're sick, you know, somebody's going to get angry at you that you didn't do your part. And the last part is um, be friendly. There was a psychologist that said the best thing we could do for kids is if we see them to be friendly and smile and wave at them. And do you know that people think you're weird when you do that, when you say, hey, you've got a cute kid or you make a face or you say hi? Well, adults need the same thing. and People think you're a little weird. I'd rather be thought of weird and embracing humanity than worrying about how people are going to judge me because I'm a little bit silly when I try to make contact with people. So whether you're standing in line at the grocery store, spread by six feet. <laughs> um, whether you're going to, you, you're standing outside of a funeral home and doing drive-by funerals, whether you hear it's a friend of yours that's been sick. I've, I've only had two people I know in West Virginia because we haven't had that many anyway, but two of them have been people I've known, um, one pretty close. And it's, they suffer and they're supposed to suffer. Um, but it will end. Everybody says that, that advertisement from the pediatrician from WVU that's on TV, this will end. Life will not be the same. Um, if you've hurt yourself before, I've you know, had injuries, I've got physical stuff. Um, I'm a different person every time I go through one of those. I don't mention it very often. I won't say, but you know, if I get winded, it's going to be different than if you get winded. You're 20 years younger than I am probably, at least. You in the 40s, 30s? 43, yep. So you're almost, not 30 years. It will be 43, yeah. So the, the way you and I would go upstairs or whatever is going to be different. But I, until it hurts, I don't say much about it. So yeah. I'm not sure this is where you wanted to go. The, um, David, this, I, I tell you, there's so much stuff. That's why I just let you go, man. There's so many things you touched on that I think are so critical. And maybe, maybe not everybody needs to hear all of it, but I think everybody could hear some of it. And, and I think it, everything you've said is, is super valuable. And the, the Simply Human piece and recognizing and being, gra being grateful for what we've got, um, that, is, that is some of the perfect medicine. Knowing that some folks are going to have rougher roads than others during this, but but I think one of the things you said I also thought was really critical, which is if we make it, when we make it through this as a society, if we haven't taken advantage of some lessons about humanity and apply them to what's next, we really have done a disservice to our to, to ourselves and to our, our the generations that follow. Maybe we have to define what's really important, and that's yeah. yeah. People are complaining more about being unable to touch and be with people, so don't wait. Don't wait till you have to put your hand up against a window. Yeah, yeah. That's Tonight, it, the, when people listen to this in the next week or two, maybe what I can ask them to do is pick up the phone or send a Zoom invite or do something to somebody you haven't been in contact with who has been important to you. Yeah. Um, 
and this will be my besides live today don't wait be grateful which is i closed almost all my talks for 20 plus years um i have made it a point when i turned 50 i called all of my teachers that I could, well i called all my a lot of my girlfriends to say i'm sorry if i was a jerk i called my i i looked for my my most important teachers in my life and i found my sixth fifth and sixth grade teachers and When I called both of them, the amazement was, is they remembered who I was out of all these thousands of kids. They remembered that my mother was the only parent in all of the history of the schools that invited all the elementary school, because all six of us went through the same elementary school, and most of us had the same teachers. It was the only parent to ever bring them to their home and have a luncheon, thanking them for taking care of their kids. And then Miss Clough, my sixth grade teacher, and this will be the swan song for today i called her and i said miss clough the first one miss waterman was wonderful my fifth grade i had my secretary call her and she said well who you, who's this and i said my, my name is she said i'm dr clayman secretary davy clayman put him on the phone and that's what her voice was like we had this wonderful discussion just absolutely wonderful remembered all of my friends who i hung around with kept it had, had known what i was doing after moving to west virginia in 74. so i so i said who's left and she said, well, Miss Clough's living in Florida. Miss Clough was this beautiful kind of um, Rubenesque woman, but beautiful. She used to wear a, a, a um, lace handkerchief tucked in her sleeve. And uh, I was ADD, and so she let me, when I cleaned up my desk and was behaved myself, she let me do phone service so I could get up and answer the phone or messenger service so I could get out of my seat or extra days on safety patrol. Because, yeah, so I, I kept things clean, but she was wonderful. And in the middle of the conversation, I said, Ms. McClough, did you always um, have respiratory problems? She said, why do you ask? Goes, well, Ms. Waterman said that you had respiratory problems. You always wore that lace handkerchief in your sleeve. She said, you remember that, David? And I said, Ms. Clough, I remember everything about you. And she goes, you do? And I said, Ms. Clough, I loved you. This, I'm, I was 50 years old when I did this. And she goes, David, did you not know how much I loved you? So with that, who are you going to touch base with and get that kind of a gift and make the coronavirus who is threatening the fundamental securities of our lives be the catalyst to doing it better from this point on? Dr. David Clayman, I am so glad I brought you on. This was great. Thank you for, I'm grateful for you, uh, for coming on, sharing all of that, sharing your life experience, your knowledge. Um, I really hope this is helpful to, to, to folks. I think it will be. Um, Thank you and stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you again for all the great advice. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll bring you back on. We can talk a little more in, in the future. And when you were in Charleston, when, when we're allowed to travel, love That's to right. see you. When this is lifted, I'll come down and see you. Primo. Hey, Alex, thanks, take David. it easy. Thank you. You too.